Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like the show and think we deserve a five-star rating, and obviously we do, rate us and post a review. Also, although our main purpose in life is to entertain you, producing this show costs actual money, so please help out by going to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried and pledging your support to receive all sorts of goodies, merchandise, personalized roast, and shout-outs, advanced access to episodes, or personal messages from me, Gilbert Gottfried. And if we raise enough, maybe I can finally get a new co-host. I'm thinking of the Scarlett Johansson robot. Tell us about the theme song, which was first a because we love uh, we love pop music on yeah, this yeah, show. Yeah. We love one hit wonders. Okay, Andrew. And Gold, before Andrew it was Gold. the theme for Golden Girls, it was a one hit wonder for a guy named Andrew Gold. Yeah, thank you for being a friend. Oh wow! Who a came 70s. from a showbiz family? Right. Yeah, Marnie Nixon, right? The son of right. Marnie Nixon, Nixon who yeah. looped uh, who looped Audrey Hepburn and My Fair Lady. Yeah, and yeah. Did, didn't she also do? Um... She's in sound. She did Natalie, and she's in sound of music, like physically in sound of music as well. well. Little good trivia. Yeah, the late Andrew Gold. The late Andrew Gold. He passed away young. You know, probably about the time that I was doing this research. I he was one of the people I had on my list, and of course, I thought I had some time to to get to him. I didn't. Uh, Yeah, it was his hit in the seventies, and it wasn't a chart topping hit, but it charted. And when they were looking for. Uh, a theme song for this for this show. Remember the back in the days when sitcoms had theme songs, so oh, they yes. could actually spare a few seconds to have words. And oh yeah, we've talked about them and the ones that used to tell the story. Exactly. The now we don't have time for that. Right. We have to sell more commercials. But they were looking for a theme song, and really they had the heart set on "You Got to Have Friends," the Bette Midler song, but they couldn't afford it. So they were like, "All right." It was another like pitch session. Like, "All right, what do we do now?" And somebody thought of the Andrew Gold song. They brought in the the, the funny thing about this. They brought in the session singer, Cindy Fee. And she, as she tells it, you know, back in the day when there were more commercial jingles and when there were theme songs, if you were a session singer, you'd knock out three or four of these things in a day. You'd have an hour-long session booked here. You'd drive across town, do another one. She didn't think twice about this thing. They, they, she walks in. They hand her the word. She's like, oh, that's the Andrew Gold song. Thank you for being a friend. Okay. She improvised, you know, a couple of different licks at the end of it and whatever. Did it in 20 minutes. Really did it in one take, but they asked her to do it again. Just for safety, she did it twice. Walked out, no, no thought about it. Whatever. It's put her kids through college. It people still come up to her on the street and they're like, "Can you sing that for her?" I mean, she tours and I'll she doesn't damned. do it as part of her tour, but people are always asking her to. It's oh. like she's like I something I did on a random use... Tuesday morning. Yeah, they didn't use Andrew Gold's. And, and they wanted a woman. I you know, see. Makes it, sense. Of thank you for. I also a remember. I mean, I've lost track of the billions of shows, particularly sitcoms. Where it was like the premise of the song is, although bad things can happen to us, as long as we love as each other. As long as we're together. We're together. Yes, everything will turn out right. 
<laughs> yeah, talking yeah, about well, all those gooey family sitcoms of the 80s. Yeah. Interestingly, like, go ahead, Gil. Oh, no, all of those... Um, Oh God! I'm Growing pains everything. and who's the boss? And yes. yeah, there's so many or, of them. Or that that one. There were those two that uh, used to put out everything. They put out. Um, you mean Boyette Miller or Boyette Mil- Miller? Yeah, oh, yeah, Miller yeah. Boyette. I yeah, got yeah. it backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning, yeah, just uh, step family by matters, step, step by step. Problems no. come our way, but we love each other. <laughs> Listen, that was we'll, a, that was a money maker. Oh yeah, for those guys. God, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's, it's interesting, too, when the, the choice is not to use the hit record, because I think of my life, Billy Joel's My Life, yeah. as the theme for, for Bosom, Bosom Buddies. Oh, yeah. They must have paid through the nose for that. Yeah. I but I guess imagine. it costs more if you're using Billy Joel. It or costs more to use the Billy actual Joel artist, says, sure. I'm not, I'm, not singing on a, right. I'm not singing on a sitcom. Right. So tell us what the experience has been with the book so far. I mean, what's happening? You're, 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 you're touring with it. You're touring at, with you're it. At, you were at Barnes & Noble. Yeah, you know, you I did, did a signing at Thirty Rock. I did a signing at Thirty Rock. That was fun because the NBC store. I had a, at the NBC store. I had a panel with uh, some of the producers, the two of the original producers, and then a guy from the later years, the Richard Vaxi, the one I was talking about with that story, making me cry. So it's it's fun because I get to keep interviewing people, and stuff keeps coming up. There's like every once in a while a little, new little factoid will come out. That I'm like, why didn't you tell me that before? But uh, it, it's great. It's it's. I've been touring L.A., New York, New Jersey. I'll right. be going other places. But uh, it hit the New York Times bestseller list. Congratulations! Be happy about right. that. It's a labor Thank of you. love, huh? Uh, you know, that's what I said. It's like ten, who else but a crazy schmuck like me would spend ten years <laughs> well, I've interviewing you, old ladies. I've known you at least ten years. Yes. and you've been working on this book. Yeah. since we met. Literally, yeah. I started in February two thousand six. So just over 10 years this book took. Congratulations. But, and it's a great book, full color pictures, lots of great pictures. It's really a it's a beautifully put together book. Thank you. I can't take credit for the look of it because I'm no designer, but there are t- visual treasures in there because I, th- I think this is probably true of a lot of great shows and people just don't save the stuff. I'm really lucky that a lot of the people who worked on the show just knew, maybe afterward, but they knew enough to just keep everything they could for someday somebody's going to want this. And so the the costume designer who lives now in Oregon and she makes pots, but she has all her sketches on boards and stuff. And she gave me all like her original sketches for those crazy outfits that Dorothy and Blanche wore. And the production designer of the show who designed all these sets. And what I always say about the show about the sets is that most sitcoms, you can think of the standing sets, what they look like. But when they would go to a, like an, a location mm-hmm. once, most of the time, we don't know what that. Remember what that looks like on right. Cheers? We know what the bar looks like. Right, but do sure. you even remember what you know Sam's apartment versus Rebecca's look like or whatever? Right. Golden Girls, they can go somewhere once and it's iconic. The Rusty Anchor Bar, where where you know Blanche sang on the piano, uh-huh. or the dockside restaurant that where Sophia opened her pizza and Kanish stand. We can picture those things. And so I, the the production designer had taken all these stills of all these uh, sets that he had built, sometimes with the actors rehearsing on them, and he, they were his own Polaroids just for his own files, and they were like thrown into file boxes. And when he passed away, they were donated to the Art Directors Guild, but nobody had ever gone through them. And so I just, I have all these visuals in there that it's like, I feel like yeah. I was able to go like like a kid in a candy store and just pick through stuff. It's a, it's a good looking book. And, Thank and, you. And we were just talking before about Herbel Edelman. Yes. Now, because he was a frequent guest. Yeah, the most frequent. Yeah. Yeah, he was hysterical. Yeah. Do you have any stories about Herb? Well, everybody loved him, and he, and he was really, I mean, as I said, the cast liked each other, but even the writers just, he was kind of like the Stan character. Not that he was a schlub, but he was a salt-of-the-earth da- guy. Oh, yes. movie. Yeah. He was a very down-to-earth yeah. guy. People yeah. loved him. He was very chummy with the writers and stuff. It was really key that B would like whoever got cast to play Stan. 
because it turned out that he came back so many times. I don't even think they planned that when they first cast the character. Who knows how long your show's even going to go when you're starting. But they wanted somebody who could go head-to-head with B that she would like and somebody who'd be tall because B couldn't sure. be the taller one. <laughs> and so it, it narrowed down the list of men of a certain age who could do that kind of comedy, who B would like, and who would be tall. He, and they uh, liked Bald. Bald was a good yeah. idea, too. Yeah, so B, B, B had early. a hand in casting him. I mean, yeah. she had worked with him before. Yeah. Did you talk to Leslie Nielsen? or No, other? he had passed away he as passed well. passed away, yeah. too. Yeah. And who are the, what other guest stars did you get? Oh, there? I got like 250 guest stars. Yeah. It's crazy. I yeah. mean, some of them some of them I talked to now have passed away, like Lois Nettleton, who played uh, Lois Dorothy's Nettleton. lesbian Remember friend, her, Jean. Yeah. Famous yeah. Twilight episode with a melting painting. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And now, um, what other guest stars stand out? Well, you know, there was a lot of stunt casting where yeah. they had people like Bob Hope and Don Amici. Yeah. And I'm trying to think like they Howard uh, Duff, Ger- Howard Duff, Geraldine yeah. Fitzgerald. They right. had it was almost murder. She wrote in that they got yeah, a lot of these yeah, right. people from the silver <laughs> right. screen who were on their way out out of career and of life. But uh, then you know they they had some people that were memorable. Like they had George Clooney when he couldn't get arrested. Oh wow! And they had him you know playing a cop who comes to do a stakeout at their house because that happens a lot. Yes. When you're th- poor old ladies, <laughs> you have you host cops on a stakeout because it happens. So I mean they had amazing guest stars on that show between the the people who were already legends and the people who were up and coming. I got a quick Betty White story. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Is where just since we brought up Betty White, uh, when I was when uh, were you at the Friars Club roast of uh, of Betty? Of Betty, no. When, when was Wal- that? Do you remember? Oh my gosh, Gil, were you there? You must have been which there. One? Uh, Barbara Betty. Walters was the roast master. So we're talking I don't about think about so. seven years ago. Okay. Yeah. And I wrote a joke for Joy, uh, which was <laughs> Betty White's vagina is so dry <laughs> there are still Jews wandering in it, <laughs> and she was such a sport about it. And then Joy went to her house and interviewed her later uh-huh. for the Behar show that she did for Current. And she said, "She said, Betty, can I bring back a joke? That it did, Betty didn't have any memory of the joke. And when Joy told the joke, it's on YouTube. You can see it. She laughed hysterically. <laughs> I love that. There's that moment where you think, gee, I'm, I, I, was, I was cringing a little bit. But she loved it more than anybody. She's she a secure a woman. She, oh, she's really body. They yeah. all were. I mean, B, as I said, what her favorite word was. You know, they all had mouths like sailors. Which yeah. is, I mean, these are old broads who had been coming up through this business sure. for four decades. Sure. They certainly were not going to be prim about well, it. Well, she became, and, and speaking of, uh, you know, get me a Jessica Walter type, in the Mary Tyler Moore book, I think she became the happy homemaker because they said Betty White well, type. Betty White type, they did. Yeah. And then they said, I mean, she even tells that story that she was like so glad that somebody said, well, why don't you just ask Betty? Yeah. Great stuff. Now, I remember that Twilight Zone episode. With Lois Nettleton. Yes. yes. Sure, it's famous. And Was it during I, the heat wave? What yeah. I remember <laughs> yeah. is it's one of those episodes that you watch, and then you start questioning. The, <laughs> like, like at one point, number one, the doctor makes a house visit. We do tangents here. Like, I, do. I love tangents. The, the, the world is coming to an end. I think let these people freeze to death. You're not going to help them. Right. And so that already, he's making a house call at the end of the world. Paul, what is the name of that episode? Uh, Can you look it up? Lois Nettleton on the Twilight Zone. And then he says to them, well, now I have to get on a plane. Because, of course, when there's- Planes are flying. I see. It's very safe to get on a plane. And he goes, "Uh, I'm going to be going to Florida because the heat will last a little longer there. And I go, what? Did <laughs> you remember this? Yes. It's so many things. I start quick. He wanted to prolong the misery. This was a very masochistic yes. doctor. <laughs> the book is terrific, Jim. Thank you. Uh, before we go, tell us that Gilbert would find this interesting. Uh, 
Oh, wait. Here comes Paul, our researcher. Twilight Zone. What do you got, buddy? Twilight grab a, Zone, grab a it was mic. It's called The Midnight Sun. Yes, it was The Midnight Sun. With Lois Nettleton. Yes. And who else? Uh, we gotta do. Cash. We gotta dig Ann Serling up and do a Twilight Zone yes. episode. Oh, she's out there. Wow. She's out there. Yeah, she tours. Rod Serling's daughter. Good stuff, Paul. The internet is too slow for our. That's show. okay. <laughs> tell tell us real quick because uh, I'm going to take this. Or maybe out. we can okay, get so Forrest Whitaker from his version when he was the Rod Serling in one oh, of those. Oh gosh. We wow. should do. We should do an episode about all those Twilight Zones. That were not connected with Rod Serling. Right. That would be sad. This uh, cast sad. is so obscure in this episode that most of them don't even have pictures on IMDb. Okay. That's Lois Nettleton. Lois Nettleton. Tom Reese was the intruder. The immortal. Jason Wingreen. Oh, Jason Oh, Jason Wingreen, who died recently. Archie Bunker's yes. place. Oh. The doctor yeah. died recently. was yeah. William Keene. Don't, that, does, that doesn't do anything for no. me. I don't know. That's, and that's, that's about it. Come Betty on, we, Gard was who? Mrs. Bronson. Betty Gard. J-R-E. I love a good Betty Gard vehicle. Uh, tell us about uh, Estelle Getty's death phobia, which I found very interesting. I didn't really know she had a death phobia, but she was freaked out. It makes sense. She was freaked out by episodes about death. That's what I mean. And they yeah. thought that, I mean, I think this is true. She was really being respectful of the character and of situations. Like, um, there, there's the episode that I, one of my favorites, where uh, her son dies. But the off-screen son we'd never seen, the crossdresser. And the way it was originally written... As, as you do on a comedy, you're making jokes about everything. They had Sophia and whatever other characters standing over the casket making cracking jokes. And they did keep in that he was buried in a teddy. And, <laughs> and they talk about, you know, oh, he, know, he looks so good in a teddy, whatever. But they had Estelle standing there. And she, she, that was one of the moments where Estelle, who was not normally like this, but she right. called the producers and said, I really am having trouble with this. I don't know if I can do it. I can't imagine being a mother standing over her son's coffin and cracking jokes about it. Bizarre. And so, you know, they, they were actually happy for that input. They were like, all right, you're right. Good point. And they rewrote it and it still worked. So. I, you know, I want to tell you my B. Arthur story. Go fast, go fast. But it's it's a long one. But That's okay. It, I told the tell I told the the, the ruse B. Arthur story. We okay, can, we can trim the episode. Up. Okay. So when I Frank is looking at me because he's like he was waiting for the story. Oh, Frank DeCaro. Frank DeCaro of the Daily, formerly of the Daily Show. So when I set out to do the interviews for the book, I was living in New York, but I was going to be spending an entire spring in L.A. for Frank DeCaro to be doing. Uh, I've got a secret in L.A. They were going to be taping over the course of three months, so I knew I had a hotel room and a car and what I was going to track down all these Golden Girls interviews. So, of course, Rue lived in New York, and Estelle, I already heard, wasn't well enough to do the interview. So, of course, my three big gets that I had to do to know that I had a book were Betty, B, and Susan Harris. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, I put in the phone calls the first day I'm there, and I put in a phone call to Betty's agent, and I get, you know, told that Betty has an, an hour in April. This was like February 1st. Wow. It was like on April 27th, Betty has an hour at she's 3 p.m. T- she's That's, she's booked tight. She was 84 and booked tight. So I was like, I'll take it. So I knew I had Betty on the books. Susan Harris, same thing. I got her on the books. With B, you know, this is in the days before IMDb Pro. So the way I would find these actors was just go, call the Screen Actors Guild referral line and have them give me the Asian info. With B, they give you this thing that they called a reference number. And I didn't know what that was. Well, I learned the hard way what a reference number means. It just means it's their home number. And so oh, you called her home number. I call this number thinking I'm going to get an agent and I get the answering machine. Hello, I can't come to the phone right now. And I start freaking out. Like, what am I going to say to this woman? And so I left a stammering message of, you know, I'm B, my name is Jim. I'm doing a book on the Golden Girls. I have don't I have no idea what I said. She didn't call back. 
but you know, okay, I'm racing against the clock. I have to get this interview. So how many times can I call her before I'm stalking an old lady and it's going to be a problem? So I keep calling B. <laughs> And luckily, I'm driving down, I put her number in my phone, so I'm driving down Santa Monica Boulevard, right after they pass the law that you can't use the handset while you're driving, and my phone rings and it says, B. Arthur. And I'm like, holy shit. Wow. So I'm trying to drive in LA and, and talk, and she's saying to me, it wasn't a happy time in my life, I feel like I've talked about the Golden Girls enough, I really don't want to do this, I'm very sorry, it's nothing personal. But with all the no, I, for some reason, I don't know why this is, I always felt like there was a glimmer of yes in there that maybe if I kept at it, and she was also a softie, which I could also tell. She felt bad about saying no. That's great. I could keep putting pressure on her. So I was like, at the end of that first call, she was like, you know, we can talk about this again. So that started the whole phone stalkings thing again, where I had to call her four or five times before she'd call me back. And every time we'd finally have a conversation, she'd say, no, but, no, but. At one point, I was shrewd enough to say, I'm going to be talking to Betty. So I knew that would get her. Um, and, you know, there was one moment where she called me back and I was in the Beverly Hills Public Library because they had, they had free Wi-Fi. And <laughs> she calls and I'm in the middle of this giant complex. I can't run outside. And so I take the call and everybody's yelling at me, get off your fucking phone. This is a library. And I'm like, fuck you. It's B. Arthur. <laughs> so I'm talking to her in full voice in the library. And she's saying to me, I'm going to Chicago this weekend. I can't talk until after then. Call me after that and I'll talk to you again. So again, I call her whatever. Another time I call, she says... This happened to be when the Paley Center, which does this Paley Fest every spring, they used to, they don't do it anymore too much, uh, do a class, in addition to doing panels about current TV shows with all their cast and crew, they used to do a classic show, and I was lucky that that year they were doing Golden Girls, so perfect for me, free interviews. So she said to me, come to the Paley Center that night, come in the green room beforehand, meet me in person, and we'll talk. Well, I'd already met her a couple times through Frank, but whatever, I didn't have to tell her that. Yes, I'll come meet you in the green room. When I went that night to the green room, there's Betty, there's Rue, no B. And Betty is going around to everybody, like table to table, saying, B's doctor said, you are so sick, don't you dare get out of bed. And I was thinking to myself, even at the time, Betty's full of shit. But okay, Betty's putting a happy face on it, that's what mm -hmm. she does. She mm -hmm. wanted to make everybody feel good. Uh, so when I finally get B to agree to an interview, which was a miracle, I go to what I thought was going to be her house, and it turned out it was a rental house her kids had, had gotten for her because they were renovating her kitchen in Pacific Palisades. That house that just sold for like $19 million, that was the one they were renovating because B was a big cook, loved to entertain, had like a big couch in her kitchen for people to sit while she cooked. So it was in this rental house, and I show up, and she's in her trademark bare feet, and I set up in the living room with my recorder and my computer and stuff. And for the first hour, she's giving me like monosyllabic answers that are not helpful at all. You know, what did you think of that? Yes. No. I don't remember. I'm thinking, oh my God, I, I took months to get in this woman's living room. <laughs> I had to stalk her. And she did say over the course of the time that Maud was a happier time for her. If I were interviewing her about Maud, she'd have stories. But why did it have to be Golden Girls? <laughs> At quarter to four, you can hear her say on my recording, under her breath, Judge Judy's on in 15 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, I ignored that because there's no way I'm going to leave your house so you can freaking watch Judge Judy after all this is taken to get here. Then at about 10 minutes after four, you can hear her say in the middle of an answer to something else, I guess I can miss Judge Judy for one day. So she did open up and eventually give oh, nice. me some stories, obviously, because they're in the book. And by the time we wrap, it's about five o'clock. And I had stupidly rented this car and I was leaving town, so I had to get it back to Hertz before they close at six. And where she's in Brentwood, like three doors down from Betty, by the way, and neither of them knew it. 
because it's a rental house. She hadn't been there that long. And I had to get this car back to West Hollywood. And, but the condition of the interview was that I would stay with her and have a drink after. And by a drink, she means a bottle of something. And so I'm putting away my stuff, and I hear her in the kitchen going, Yoo-hoo! <laughs> and it didn't dawn on me until a couple times that she said it, that, oh, right, I'm the only person in the house she doesn't remember my name. That's for me. I'm Yoo-hoo. So I go in the kitchen, which is, you know, it's rental furniture. There's nothing there except for it's a very fully stocked pantry full of liquor. <laughs> and she says, you know, what do you want? Let's have something. So I'm like, what's the least offensive thing I can have? And then get on the road like a crazy person. I hurts. Here I am with your car. So uh, I pick a bottle of white wine. And she pulls out this bottle of white wine. And she's like, let's have this. The guy who shops for me, some a gay guy who came in two or three times a week who shopped for her. For, uh, for her the guy who shops for me knows I love this. And I go to open it, looking around, like, where am I going to find a corkscrew? And she, no, not that one. She takes it back, grabs another bottle of exactly the same wine. This one. Okay. Does it again. No, not that one. This one. It's the same wine every time. <laughs> so I'm rummaging around in her drawers looking for a corkscrew. And that's when you have that surreal moment in your mind that I'm rummaging through B. Arthur's kitchen drawers looking for a corkscrew. <laughs> Just got to keep note of that. And I realize it's screw-type wine anyway. So... She pulls out the two biggest balloon goblets I've ever seen and empties the entire bottle into the two, so much so that I have to slurp it before I can even move it. And then we go sit in the living room, and she has her bare feet up on the coffee table. And now it's time to make small talk with her. But we've just been talking Golden Girls for like two and a half hours and Maud and all that. So I'm like, what am I going to talk about with this woman? I really don't remember. It didn't matter because she just wanted to have a drink. But I do remember one thing she said was that she was really into, they call them hag movies, right? Like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, sure, yeah. the, where the, the really great actresses of the silver screen are completely humiliated <laughs> in <laughs> 60s and 70s movies, yeah. yes, where they're made to be like horrible monsters and matrons. And they oh, that like, one with Shelley Winters. Uh, oh, who right. Slew, who, uh, slew uh, who, who slew Annie Rue? with yes. Debbie Reynolds, yeah. too, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. So that, that genre, that <laughs> genre <laughs> was a favorite of bees, it turns wow. out. So uh, I told the her. Ugly the ugly actress. Right, yes. She liked to see her contemporaries humiliated it turns out <laughs> lady in a cage right uh, lady in a cage lady to Havilland. but that wasn't as humiliating as some of them right although she them. was also in the um the other one um hush hush sweet charlotte right so yeah so olivia has done her share of those still alive at 100 and, yeah, and was just, on the love boat i'm looking for her i'm looking for her in paris um so I, i'm talking with b about these movies and i remembered that when i was in college in philadelphia i had been up late one night and of the two channels i got on my rabbit ears there was one uh, station that was showing this obscure british movie with lana turner called and i didn't know at the time but it was called persecution from the early 70s and the plot was basically that lana was this rich bitch in england american heiress who loved her persian cats more than she loved her poor son and <laughs> her son grew up kind of psycho and but still was trying to get out from under her clutches, got married, had a baby, and then one night one of the cats kills the baby. And he goes totally off the rails. And by the end of the movie, he has Lana at gunpoint and he makes her drink a bowl of milk off the floor like a cat. Oh. And the moment I said that sentence to be, she sat up and came to life, grabbed my arm and said, I must have that movie. You must get it for me. So she loved camp. So she loved camp and well, she loved you know, the, the hag movies. Her. So I did actually, have, uh, our friend Dennis Dermody, who was on Frank's, my husband Frank's radio show on Sirius XM, is the king of those movies. Uh-huh. And so the moment I started describing it to him, no one else has ever heard of this movie. I was like, Lana Turner, What's Saucer of Milk. He goes, Persecution, 1974. Persecution. So he found me a VHS copy, which I sent to B, and I hope she watched. So then we're wrapping up. It's now like 10 to 6. There's no way I'm going to make it in time. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I thought, you know, I'm going to test her on something because now that we've gotten to know each other a little. So I said to her and looked at her out of the corner of my eye, 
B, I'm so sorry I didn't get to meet you that night at the Paley Center, but I heard you were so sick. And I look, and she's got this guilty look on her face like a little kid. I'm like, oh, well, that tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> so I'm packing up and whatever, and I and I didn't do this with anybody else, including Betty, but I felt like I had broken through to her because the thing about B that I learned that other people probably would have said is that, you know, again, people thought the way to interact with her was to be mean with her and play rough because she was imposing and she was maud and she was tough. And the thing is, on the inside, she was anything but tough. She was so easily hurt. And so you, she had this guarded exterior, and only if you spend enough time with her did you really kind of get to see through that. And I felt felt like in that day, I finally did get to see through it. So I said to her, can I give you a hug? I gave her a hug, and she kind of melted a little. Like, it took her off guard, and then she kind of relaxed. And so we walked to the door, and she's standing in the doorway, perfectly framed, like it's a perfect shot. And I'm walking out, and she goes, I'm halfway down the lawn, and she calls back to me and goes, hey. And I look, and she goes, I wasn't sick that day either. And then looked off <laughs> and slammed the door. So it was like a perfect day with B. I got like I got the, the the sass. I got and then of course I you know called Hertz and said I was just with B. Arthur. You have to let me return the car late. And they did. Just because you were B's with name. B. Arthur. Yeah. I'm like I, I was like I think I also said I've been drinking and I was with B. Arthur. Like it was the worst thing to say. But oh, they yeah. were like great. Nice. We'll keep the doors open until six fifteen. The book uh, is called Golden Girls Forever. An, an unauthorized look behind the lanai. Jim Colucci. Thank you guys Terrific so much. Terrific book. Gil? Yes. And it was written by some guinea. <laughs> not some guinea. Just, not yes. just any guinea. The guinea. Yes. I was Before we turned the mics on, I was referencing Colucci's department. Yes. Just for our, just for our listeners. Yes. James Coco. But spelled differently. They yes, spelled it with, with an, an A. a. For the six people who remember yes, that. Yes, that's right. And this has been Gilbert and Frank's Amazing Colossal Obsessions. Where can they get the book? Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. It's a great read. Fun. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Thank you, guys. Here we go. Sessions.